Hi, everyone. I am Rita Garwood. I'm Editor-in-Chief of The Monitor. And today I am here with Alexandra Lexi Dressman, who is counsel slash assistant vice president at the Huntington National Bank. And this year, Lexi is our Monitor Icon Award winner in the Next Gen category. Congratulations, Lexi. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. That's a huge honor. So I'm very appreciative. Yeah, we, um, for those who don't know, we accept nominations this year for our ICON awards from our board members. And a couple of people on the board had wonderful things to say about you, Lexi. So it sounds like you, we're going to get into all your contributions to the industry, but uh, just wanted to start off saying congratulations. And we're so happy to have you uh, featured in this issue of the magazine and in the video. So I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you started your career as a public defender, and then you switched to roles to join Huntington as a sales coordinator. Why did you decide to make that switch? I, I get asked that question all the time because it is, even though many of us did not grow up thinking we wanted to be in the equipment leasing industry, going from public defender who, for those who don't know, is the person that when they tell you you have a right to an attorney if one cannot be provided to you, I was that attorney. So um, it was a major career change. Actually, I had a cousin who worked for the Huntington National Bank in a different capacity and thought that I would be really good at the sales coordinator job. It has nothing to do with sales. It's a, um, a lot of other places call it a closer. And so when we get new facilities, new documentation comes in, I would review all of the documentation and then close the transaction. And I am very, very detail oriented. It's my best and worst quality. So she knew that about me and thought I'd be great. And so I spoke to Joel Hardman, my manager, and, and just really, really liked what he had to say. I never thought I would be in banking, but Huntington especially had a culture that really, really attracted me to them. So um, the rest is kind of just a happenstance. I was lucky enough to get the position started and have been there for six, it was six years in June. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So over those six years, uh, according to your LinkedIn, you've held four different roles at Huntington. Um, and you worked in documentation, you worked in operations, and then now you're in a legal role again. Why did you choose to work in different areas of the business and what have you learned as a result of that? So again, part of it with what I, one thing I have learned is that a lot of opportunities, you just get lucky. I'm a, um, I think if you put yourself out there, the right things will come to you. And so a lot of it has been happenstance and luck. But um, I am an attorney by trade. I've been an attorney. Obviously, I was a public defender. So I've practiced law since 2011. And when I was hired on, I was hired on as an attorney on the documentation team. But a uh, role presented itself in the operations team. And I, I, the, my first thought was it would probably be really good to get to know this part of what we call the back office. I was working very closely with that team as part of my closing role. And I I like to learn and thought it would be a good opportunity. I think that every role since then, I, I was in operations for probably about a year and a half and then went back to the documentation team for another opportunity that presented itself and then finally ended up in legal. So the jobs have all been kind of related, but I have not, they've not all been promotions. Some of them have been lateral. So I think that 
what I have learned the most as a result is sometimes your career opportunities don't necessarily mean the traditional more money, more promotions. You have to kind of be willing to learn something new from a lateral move. And it's really benefited me. And I'm really glad I took every opportunity I did. That's great. And I'm sure you've learned a lot more about the business as a result too. Absolutely. I think that one of my strengths, um, if you ask people, I get a lot of questions that aren't necessarily legal related. And I love that. I don't want to just be a lawyer in a vacuum. That's what kind of my catchphrase is. I don't want to just be a lawyer in a vacuum. I want to understand the business and understand that side because it's integral to being able to support from a legal perspective. So I've learned a ton and I like to be able to share that. So I get a lot of kind of off the wall questions from people that might not seem related to my job, but because of my history with Huntington and because of the knowledge I've gained through these different opportunities, I'm usually able to answer them. Or I always say, if I don't know the answer, I'll, I, I can find somebody who does. <laughs> That's great. Sounds like an awesome resource. <laughs> so you're looking at your job that you're, you hold now, what is your favorite aspect of your position? Um, I think that my my favorite aspect is also my least favorite aspect, which makes it depends on which day you ask me. I support rather complicated verticals is what we call them, specifically the renewable energy finance vertical and our lender finance vertical and our Huntington public capital. So I love them because they challenge me, but on certain days they almost challenge me. <laughs> they all challenge me at once and it can be it can be a little hectic, but I love that. So it is something that it drives me crazy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I love learning new things. And I can really say that on a daily basis, I am learning something new. And the minute that I'm not being challenged, I feel like I start to stagnate. And so it's really important to me to keep pushing myself to grow. So I think that that's probably my favorite aspect of the position. But I also just really love the people I work with. I love the industry because of the people. And that goes for all of the people that I work with at Huntington, but also that I work with throughout the industry. I have the opportunity in my role to speak to a lot of other institutions, a lot of other lenders, a lot of other counsel. And I can honestly say that I have never come across somebody that even if we have different perspectives, I don't respect and admire. And so the people definitely are what keep me in this industry. And that, like I've said before, the, I just really like the culture at Huntington is very welcoming. And for a bank, we're not as traditional as what you might think. And I love that about us. We're That's what sets us apart. And I really fit well into that sort of dynamic. That's awesome. It's good to have a culture that you fit into. Yeah. So looking back across your career, what is the biggest challenge that you faced and how did you overcome it? I think that the biggest challenge, there's so many challenges, um, but I think that they've all been learning opportunities, but the biggest learning opportunity has probably actually been trying to use my voice and increase my own confidence. Um, I grew up in a very large family, a very sarcastic, large family. So um, I have had to understand that I am good at my job and I am able to contribute to this industry and I'm able to do so and be proud of that and not necessarily feel like I'm bragging. So I 
I grew up where, you know, you remain humble and you don't talk about the things that you're doing well. And so it's been kind of a mental shift for me to recognize that I, I am capable, I am able to learn hard things and I am able to speak professionally, of course, and not argumentatively, but to improve my communication skills so that my voice is really heard. I don't want to just be in the back of the room listening. I want to be contributing and speaking about what I think would help the, the Huntington, my group, but also the entire industry move forward. Because if we're not moving forward, we're not going to last as an industry. So I think that that's been the biggest hurdle is the long story short is just making sure that I can use my voice appropriately and build my confidence to feel like I'm, I deserve a seat at the table. That's so important. It's interesting how those family dynamics can shape how we present ourselves and everything that we do. How, how big of a family did you come from? <laughs> yeah. So my, my dad is one of 12 um, and my mom is one of three. So I have four siblings, but I have, gosh, I, I would have to count them. I know them all, but I, I have well upwards of probably 50 first cousins. And somewhere along the line, I just learned that if I, if I'm quieter, maybe people won't, won't be so sarcastic towards me. So, so in, in a large family like that, you, you I, I have no problem talking, but being heard is different than just talking. <laughs> I can relate. My, my mom is one of 14. My dad is one of nine. And then I'm one of six. <laughs> so I know, I know so you what you're talking about. Yes. You completely understand. <laughs> that I do. At, my family has definitely shaped me. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. So as you said, you want to use your voice to help the industry, you know, move to the next chapter. Um, the board members who nominated you had a lot of wonderful things to say about your contributions to the ELFA, particularly ETAC and the way that you pivoted to create and launch uh, a virtual emergence experience last year when the pandemic hit. Um, for those who don't know, that is a leadership conference for high potential individuals in the industry. Um, I'd love if you would share a little bit more about that experience. What, tell me about what you were facing, how you overcame it, um, how the industry responded. Yes. So um, in case anyone is not aware, the pandemic happened and <laughs> it greatly affected the way that we all do business. Um, I went on maternity leave in 2020 and had plans to be chair of ETAC and run a live in-person conference in Denver, Colorado called Emergence 2020. And then the pandemic happened. So not only did I never return to work after having a baby, but we had to completely revamp what we were doing. So like many things in 2020, we decided to postpone our annual conference, our leadership conference. But Early on, we started talking about how we didn't want to have to keep canceling and we wanted to offer this. And so we followed the lead of the ELFA's annual convention. It was very successful for them. And we decided to use a similar platform and we just all got to work. I have a wonderful ELFA staff liaison, Alexa Carnabella, and then we had a wonderful um, ETAC is divided into task forces. So I'm the chair, and then Lana Krolik with US Bank is the task force owner for Emergence. So I would be absolutely remiss if I acted like I should take the credit for Emergence 2021 because Lana actually did 
the bulk of the, the work there. And it was a lot of conversations about how do we make this the good parts of what everyone likes about these types of conferences over and over again, we had heard networking. Um, but at the same time, balancing that with a little bit of, I guess they would call it Zoom fatigue, where networking, in my personal opinion, it's just never going to be the same as talking to a computer, somebody on a computer as meeting them in person. And so I think the number one thing that we did was we acknowledged that this is not going to be absolutely comparable to an in-person event, but we're going to offer you some networking opportunities and we're going to really focus on bringing some super solid content to kind of fill out those networking opportunities without overwhelming anyone. So we pared it down from what is traditionally a two and a half day event to a shortened one day event. And we brought in a futurist. I think that was a very, um, important thing for us to do, not just because of the content of talking about the industry and the future of the industry, but we held this in this past July at a time when everybody just really needs to talk about the future. It's time to kind of acknowledge that it has been a really difficult time personally and professionally and look to the future for hope. And so it, that conference, I think, came at the perfect time to bring in a futurist to talk about what are things going to look like in the future? Look, let's look ahead. Let's look forward. And then we also had our um, renowned favorite, Pierre Quinn. He is a repeat uh, speaker at all of our conferences. This is the third. This is the third emergence that we just had, and he's been hugely successful every time that we've used him. So we also learned, you know, don't change just for the sake of change. Everyone really likes Pierre. He has a solid message. It's a little bit different every time we've had him speak and he delivered 100% virtually just as well as he would in person. So um, I think that that having those solid bits of content with the networking, but also acknowledging and just saying this is not gonna be the same as, as an in-person event was a really made for a really successful conference. It was the largest that we've ever had. So there were definitely some benefits to having a virtual conference because more people could attend and that's great. That's what we're here for. We want more people to be able to grow in their career. So on that note, in your next gen profile you you had a you're featured in our next gen issue i believe it was last year um you mentioned that you would love to see a focus on scholarships when it comes to industry events can you talk a little bit more about that absolutely this is kind of a pet i would call this a pet project of mine um other than just being very passionate about the working mother perspective because i am a working mom i also think that we need to as an industry work a lot harder on providing opportunities for emerging talent to get into the thick of things outside of their everyday jobs. And people that go to um, you know, different industry conferences, seminars, events, a lot of times are not the newer people. They're the more established folks that have been around longer, that have the C's the C-suiters as we call them. And that's wonderful. But if you really want to embrace an emerging talent perspective, we hear as emerging talent all the time that we are the future of the industry. And that's true. And that's why we need to have scholarships to allow people that don't have 
deep pockets of a bank or don't, you know, a lot of the times an institution will send 20 odd people and emerging talent is number 25. And if we could offer some scholarships to supplement that, we could get more emerging talent a seat at the table and really get their perspective. Um, I think a lot of the times there's this kind of generational tug, this generational tension between what people think emerging talent is and what emerging talent can be. And there's a lot of generalizations. So if we can offer these scholarships to attend to these, I think that you'll get you'll get more traction with really getting an emerging talent perspective. And a lot of industries do this. Uh, I mean, there a lot of industries offer scholarships to attend to attend where the price might be a little too hefty for um, a smaller company or even for a bank to kind of supplement that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I hope that that gains some traction because it's important to get people to these conferences, especially younger talent who have different ideas. So you also mentioned that the working mother perspective is really important to you. Can you just talk about that a little bit more? I'd like to hear what you have to say about, about that. It is. So um, this is my last year with the Emerging Talent Advisory Com Council of the ELFA. And so I've, I've thought a lot about what I want to keep contributing to the industry outside of what I do in my, my day job, my A job, as I call it. Um, and I have a lot to say about being a working mother right now because I am a working mother. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. I went through the COVID baby experience, and I have a job that I love, and that's a balancing act. And there are so many news articles out there right now about how more and more working mothers, especially working mothers of color, are leaving their industries and working and staying at home, they're, they're leaving work completely. They're deciding to work from home, being a stay-at-home parent. And it's just really something that I think is timely. And I feel very passionate about it because I think just like emerging talent, working parents, working mothers have a perspective that is integral to staying viable as an industry. That's definitely so important. I'm also a working mom. I have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. So it sounds like our kids are about the same yeah. age. And yes, it's, everybody needs to be talking about this so much more. So yes, it's just, that you are. It, it adds a whole new perspective when you get to know me, not just professionally, but when, you know, I'm on a call and I've got a two-year-old, you know, running in the background in a diaper or something like that. Like we're all, we're all, human and we all have a human component and that's what we bring to our professional jobs and so I, I just think that's so important and you're not going to know my authentic you're not going to know me authentically unless you understand that I'm a working mom mm -hmm. yeah that's so true so if there's one thing that you could change about the equipment finance industry what would it be and why um I think, you know, but I'm sorry, I'm going to back up one thing about the working moms. I do, I shouldn't even, I don't like the term working mom in general, because it implies that to me, all moms work. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify that when I, I did not mean I, I stay at home moms, I think work harder than anybody. I have several family members that are stay at home parents. And so working moms is kind of redundant to me. We're all working moms. Um, but I, I apologize to answer the question about what I would change about the equipment finance industry um, is something that we've already recognized. And I think we are making great strides, but we have a long way to go and that's embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
And I use that term broadly. I don't just mean race, ethnicity. I mean, we are all different. We all come from different perspectives. We are all diverse. So I might look just like, you know, a Caucasian female, but like I alluded to, there's a lot more there. I'm a work, I have a working mom perspective. I have a perspective as being someone from a very large family. I have perspective, you know, that is different from somebody else with a large family. And I think that we all need to recognize as an industry that we have different perspectives and we can't just keep hearing the same perspectives. So we've made great strides with that. I know the ELFA has their equality council now, counselor committee. Um, and I think that equality has really done a great job. And I know that the monitor has published several articles at this point that um, address DEI concepts, but I don't ever wanna see us just doing something for the sake of checking a DEI box. And so I think it's, that would be the one thing I would continue to change is just remembering we're all people. We all have different perspectives and we need to embrace those because as an industry, we represent all of those different perspectives. Um, so other than that, it would be, it would probably be all the tax rules because they drive me crazy. <laughs> I don't know much about the tax rules, but <laughs> I'm with you on the, the diversity, I, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> yep. So beyond what you've already mentioned, what life experiences have shaped you into the leader who you are today? Um, well, I guess I've kind of already talked a little bit about the bigger life experiences. Um, I grew up in a, you know, a large family with a lot of brothers and sisters. I worked through college. I got scholarships. I did not I think there's this perception that a lot of people in my generation, I'll, I'll use that loosely because I'm, I'm a millennial, but apparently I'm a geriatric millennial. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, there's this perception that we've all just been kind of handed a silver spoon and here is the money now go spend it. And that wasn't the case for me. I, I learned very early on to work and to work hard and to most importantly, have a sense of civic engagement um, it started with when I was younger, I went to a Catholic school and they prided themselves on their civic engagement and it's just kind of followed through to various other things. So I will never be completely happy as a person, I don't think, unless I'm doing what some would say is too much. You know, I like to be involved in not just um, business resource groups at Huntington, but I like to be involved in the industry, the ELFA, working with the monitor. And I also like to do other things that help the community that I live in Northern Kentucky. So I think the, the number one life experience I've had is growing up with a family that was very, prided themselves on civic engagement. My grandfather was an attorney as well. And he was a representative for a state representative for a long time. And my father is very involved. My mother is active in church. Like it's just kind of something that we we do and I never had a choice and I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I also just grew up in a family that was very open of other people's life situations. And I think that that's taught me to be a little bit more open-minded than um, maybe I would have been without that life experience. So you mentioned being a geriatric millennial, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which I also am. Um, what advice would you give to younger people who are coming up into the industry? 
don't be silent. Use your voice. You are important to the industry because you are the future of the industry. We don't exist as an industry without you. And so you need to use your voice the right way to be heard. When you have ideas, talk about them, speak about them. And I would also say that the number one piece of advice I would have is get a bunch of, I call them informal mentors. Um, I, everything I have done so far has been an opportunity that's been given to me from somebody I've developed an informal mentorship with. Um, so surround yourself with people that know more than you so that you can learn from them, speak your mind, and just remember everybody's human. How would you go about getting an informal mentorship, just reaching out to somebody? I did that. Um, I started with kind of just using my manager as an informal mentor and then got to know some folks in the department that I worked and just started kind of, it can start with as something as simple as, hey, I've got this document. I don't understand what it says. Can you help me review it? Just a simple email or phone call. And it develops into a relationship kind of organically, in my opinion. Don't ever feel like you have to force something. Just talk to, talk to people. I, I don't even really like the term networking because I think a lot of people, they think that that implies that they're forcibly talking about things and looking for jobs. And it seems a lot more rigid than it needs to be. I like to talk to people and get to know them. And all of the informal mentorships that I've gotten have been because I've just been interested in people and what they do. So never stop learning and just ask people. It's, you know, I've, I've never come across somebody that hasn't been willing to answer any question I've asked. And I ask a lot of questions and I ask a lot of questions that probably people are like, why is she asking this? <laughs> well, asking questions is really important. Um, so we're reaching the end of our time together. Any final thoughts? Um, just thank you. I am, I'm really quite honored and humbled and there's, I feel like I'm kind of accepting this on behalf of the entire Emerging Talent Advisory Council. I would, I'm just the, the talking head. Everybody that does all the work is not on the call with you. And they, they do, I'm just so proud of working with everybody that I work with, with some of the folks that are on your board and with all of ETAC. I do what I do because I love those people and I'm just very thankful to be thought of. Well, you're very welcome. We're very happy to have you and maybe all of those other people will have their moment <laughs> someday down the line too. So make sure you nominate them for something in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Lexi, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Rita.